0: For many people, the first voice they hear is that of a parent. I don't mean physically, as in, when cognition clicks on as a young child and they begin to associate their survival and well-being to the adult doting on them. No, I mean the internal voice. I'm not trying to generalize here, but by and large, the first line of defense in someone's mind is often not that of a deity or of their society's laws or customs, but that of their caregivers. These other moral considerations may come after, but before a kid pockets that candy bar, I bet the first voice telling him it's a bad idea is his mother's. Again, I know this may not be true of everyone, and I truly only have my own experience to base this assumption on, but how often do characters in books or movies call out for their moms or worry about the wrath of dad? Think of Larry Underwood in Stephen King's The Stand. Here's a character who generally makes the wrong decisions, and he carries the baggage from their fallout with him. He is plagued by guilt about past lovers, old friends, but what phrase becomes his mantra? What seems to propel him forward? It's his mother saying, you're a taker, Larry. He can burn as many bridges as he wants, but it is the woman who raised him whose opinion still matters most. Even after her death, he still does everything he can to change her perception of the man he grew up to be. If we follow this line of thought, the notion that a parent or guardian is the, quote, angel on the shoulder, then it stands to reason that their words aren't just preventative measures, but guidelines to live by. My mom did it this way. My father doesn't like that. So what happens when opinions begin to diverge? What happens when the personality you have cultivated, have spent your life honing, begins to diverge from that of the infallible voice of the parent. Once, during a certain election season, my mother told me that if I loved her, I wouldn't vote for my chosen candidate. Just like that. If you love me, you won't vote for them. Now, before you think ill of my mother, don't. She's awesome and has helped me to become the man I am today. In that particular case, maybe her nervousness about the election got the best of her. In her heart, she truly believed that her candidate was the better choice, and I respect the passion she had brought to the table. But this is often something I think about. I did not change my vote, but I have considered the connotation. Because I went against her advice, does that mean I don't love her? Of course it doesn't, but therein lies the power of a parent. I'm rapidly approaching 40 years old, and I still want to check in with my mother if I call in sick to work. Does that make me a mama's boy? Yeah, probably. But I don't know anything different. I'm still trying to figure out my own voice in this world. When does this change? Does it ever? Once, I was having drinks with a friend. This guy's about 15 years older than me, and depending on the level of alcohol consumed... We might lapse into young bull, old bull kind of conversations. On this particular evening, we are talking about growing up. Not when society deems you a, quote, grown up, but when you actually feel like one. His contention was when you have children of your own. As he was childless, he said, even in his 50s, he still didn't consider himself a grown up. Becoming the voice for someone else, is that it? Do you finally feel like you know more than your parents when you have kids of your own? Today on the haunting season, the young couple, the Colemans, are still trying to figure out who they are and who they will become, all while having the voice of parents in the room with them. And to make matters worse, it seems there's another voice, something else, talking to them as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 4 Kate felt the bed move and rolled over to watch Denny wobble into the bathroom. When he returned, she said, You want to talk about last night? What about it? You had a meltdown. You saw how hard it was to get that fridge inside, Denny said. It was a three-shirt kind of night. Since they began begun living in the South, Kate and Denny had an inside joke, a way of talking about how hot it was, how much they were sweating. While trying and failing to get the new refrigerator into the house, Denny had soaked through three different t-shirts. The fourth was halfway there at the end, when he sat slumped against the battered metal box with a glass of bourbon sloshing around in one hand. It was like the house just didn't want anything else coming in, Denny said. He wasn't wrong about that. While Denny and his dad drove the U-Haul back to the dealer, Kate and Joan tore out the cardboard, the plastic sheeting, and styrofoam bumpers. Kate was about to mention what had happened in the bedroom, the breathing, and the chills, a few times, but she stopped herself. She didn't want to sound crazy. Denny had already made a few jokes about her ghost Denny sightings around his parents, and while Joan wasn't a religious zealot by any stretch, she did have a tendency to blame anything super or preternatural on the nefarious forces, of the third of heaven's legions that were cast out. This wasn't a Carrie's mom type of situation, but rather a woman who had conviction in her faith and felt that any and all answers to life's mysteries could be found in the good book. Once she said, I don't believe there are ghosts or spirits. They're just demons and angels. And without truly intending to offend or accuse, She might attribute Kate's experiences on her tarot cards or the Buddha statue they had strictly for decor purposes. Like Denny and Kate were opening doorways they still didn't understand and sending out invitations to agents of darkness. Still, Joan meant well. She did. But it wasn't worth it. Instead, they talked about the snake until Barry and Denny pulled back into the driveway. Denny and his father first tried going right in the carport door, This was the closest to where the fridge needed to be anyway, but the doorway was just an inch too narrow, even after Denny had taken both the door and the screen off the hinges. They actually got it wedged in the frame for a time. They left it there while Barry went to have a cigar on the back porch. Denny started drinking. When they reconvened, the arguments began, each having an opinion on the best way to get the appliance inside. You need to take the doors off, "'Barry had said. "'You need to just back off for a minute and let me do this,' Denny told him. "'Halfway through the upper portion of the backyard, "'the dolly's wheels got stuck in a hole the dogs had dug. "'Denny let the fridge slam down to the dirt. "'Just go,' Denny had said. "'Let me do this.' "'Barry nodded slowly, then went inside to get Joan. "'They went out for something to eat. "'Denny was on his fourth drink. "'Kate stood by, knowing she couldn't really help with the heavy lifting.' but was rather on-call to make sure Denny didn't get crushed beneath the appliance. Even her presence seemed to annoy him. Little comments and exaggerated sighs eventually drove her inside, where she sat with the dogs and watched The Little Mermaid. That always got her mind off of things. Denny successfully got the fridge into the screened-in porch after literally tearing the mesh door from its hinges and removing the fridge's handles. Then he set about taking one panel of the sliding glass door off the track getting himself tangled in the knotted curtains in the process. He yowled. Why do you keep doing this? From the living room, Kate asked. Doing what? Tying these damn curtains together, Denny said, not waiting for a response. Coming into the room, Kate saw the ends of the curtains had been knotted together, elevating them off the hardwood a few inches. It's your mom. She's been doing that. Denny didn't respond. He was already back outside, heaving the fridge up the two brick steps, but then the door's opening also proved too narrow, even after measuring, then remeasuring. It just didn't seem right. The math wasn't adding up, but his drinks were. Panting, dripping with sweat, Denny lugged the fridge back over the rutted yard, through the gate, and around to the front door. Everything came off the hinges, and this time, the shoulders of the fridge cleared the frame, but got stuck halfway in. Denny actually howled. He sat on the front steps, eyes bleary, muttering slurred words. Then, just as it seemed like he was giving up for the night, Denny laid the beast on its side, something the warehouseman insisted they not do, and put his weight into the bottom like a linebacker. Wood chips flew from the doorframe, metal whined as it ground against exposed nails, the hardwood floor suffered deep gouges. But it was in. Denny got it upright in position next to the old appliance in the kitchen. When Denny went to plug it in, Kate reminded him that they needed to let the Freon settle, at least for an hour or so. Denny acknowledged this by finishing off the bottle of bourbon. They went down to the basement. Now, as he sat on the side of their bed, putting on his shoes, Kate said, You told your dad to fuck off last night. I did? His head drooped. Yeah, and you called me Wiggy last night. You know how much I hate that. This was a nickname Kate had growing up. Whenever her teenage angst flared, her parents and brother would antagonize her, saying she was wigging out. The effect, of course, made her rage grow by leaps and bounds. I'm sorry, Denny said, his voice meek and childlike. I was just so frustrated. I know, Kate said, and she felt he really was apologetic. They were both drinkers. Not an everyday thing. Well, not in the beginning. They met in grad school and parties nights out were commonplace. They had to blow off steam somehow. And then once graduated and christened professional academics, the pressures of faculty meetings and the rat race of maintaining relevance in their fields filled that need to take the edge off. But they'd always had it under control. Kate still did. But Denny... He was hitting it harder the past few months. The stress of losing his job, of his parents being in the house, of killing himself on house projects instead of writing, seemed to be wearing on him. There was a pass to be given, even if Kate felt like she was enabling him sometimes. Are my parents okay? Yeah, I think you and your dad talked it out. I was already in bed. Denny thought about this, then said, want to go move the food into the new fridge? sight of the new appliance made Denny visibly flinch. In the subtle half-light of morning streaming in through the kitchen window, it looked like the refrigerator had been batted around by a giant. Deep scores and grooves covered one metal side, while scrapes pockmarked the front and side-by-side doors. Denny opened them. Cool air spilled out. My mom must have plugged it in. At least it looks pretty on the inside, right? I love it, Kate said. We can just start collecting a bunch of magnets to cover all this up. It'll be fun. His voice was soft and raspy. Kate squeezed his arm, then went to the old fridge. As soon as the door was cracked open, a foul odor poured out and puddled around them. Putrid. Rotten. Kate slammed it closed again. What is that? Did you unplug it? Denny asked. Or leave the doors open? Of course not. Did my mom? I don't think so. Kate said through the section of shirt she'd pulled over her mouth. That smells way worse than moldy peaches, Denny. He looked green, like he might suddenly run over to the sink and let go. This probably wasn't the best remedy for a hangover. He said, we've got to get this outside. Though the old fridge appeared to be the same size as the new one, they were able to get the appliance through the door and into the driveway with relative ease. Denny was grateful for Kate's help this time. Joan joined them. What are you doing? Aren't we going to transfer the food over? I plugged the new one in when I got up this morning. It looks like the thing took a beating. Rather than respond, Denny swung the doors of the old fridge open and skipped backward like he just lit the fuse on a line of fireworks. Even in the open air, the stench hit them like a hot blast, like roadkill or the rancid traces of a slaughterhouse. In the darkened space, they could see that a bottle had broken and spilled, sprayed the contents on the white walls. The lids of Tupperware had popped open, leftovers bubbling up and over with foaming mold. There was a rat on the center shelf, on its back, in a plate of lasagna. They'd just had Italian for dinner two nights ago, but the dish looked as if it had been sitting out in the Georgian sun for the better part of a week. The rat, too, appeared to be in the mid-stages of decomposition. At first, what looked like drops of liquid at the edges of the glass shelves, the group saw were actually pale maggots falling and writhing on the level below. "'How is that even possible?' Kate asked, not really to Denny or his mother, but to her own reeling mind. "'Close it,' Joan said. "'But we need to clean it out,' Denny said. "'Why? It's broken. It's trash anyway. Just drag it up to the curb.' Joan was already walking back toward the house. What if someone comes by and takes it before garbage day? Denny called out, but Joan was already bypassing Barry, who'd been looking out from the kitchen. It's like the rug, Kate said, and even with their stomachs turning and shirts over their lips, the pair managed to giggle. Back when they had first taken the dogs home from the rescue, Echo, still dealing with a bout of hookworms, had a particularly horrendous accident on their living room rug. This was beyond the abilities of carpet cleaners and scouring pads. The pair had rolled it up and took it out to the curb. In the morning, the rug was gone, two days before the trash truck was scheduled. Someone had stopped and took it home. People love free things, and the couple had a ball thinking about whoever they thought had gotten a score, only to unravel it and find a crude imitation of a Pollock painting. Let's hope if anyone stops, they take a look inside first. Kate helped Denny move the appliance to the curb and they both went inside and took long showers. Despite the events of the day, the family shared a nice, relaxing evening together. Denny ordered pizza, and they watched the first Indiana Jones movie and half of the second, before Joan fell asleep and Barry took her to bed. Roxy and Echo sat around waiting for pizza crust to be thrown their way. Later, Denny and Kate kicked the dogs out of bed and made love, quietly, with Kate biting hard on the trim of the comforter, fearing that she'd wake Denny's parents. They know what sex is, he said how do you think I got here? I still don't want them hearing us. Do you want to hear them? God, no. Checkmate, Kate said. Denny rolled out of bed and went into the dark maw of the bathroom. For a split second, Kate felt herself tense with the image of hands reaching out and pulling Denny out of view. She imagined the snake had come back, found a way into the pipes, and was about to leap out of the toilet and bite her husband. But then she saw the spark of a lighter then the exhalation of smoke through the curtains he had drawn. The two panels were tied together, and he tugged them apart. Denny said, "'I really am sorry about last night.' "'I know, Den. It's all right,' Kate told him. And his continued apology seemed to wake her desire to talk about everything that had been happening in the house. This was a safe space. Now was the time. Jokes aside, things have been kind of weird around here lately, right?' What, with my parents? No, with the house, Kate said, already regretting that she'd brought it up. You having more run-ins with Ghost Denny? No jokes. I just wanted to know if you... If anything weird... Never mind. There was a sizzle sound of the cigarette being extinguished in the toilet, then a flush. Denny didn't say anything until he was back under the covers, and Kate was expecting him to brush it off like he usually did. But this time... He didn't. The fridge thing was strange, I'll give you that. It was like half the food had been sitting in there for weeks. What about Echo just staring at nothing? As if hearing her name signaled something, the dog jumped onto the bed and curled up next to Kate's feet. Her sister followed and dropped next to Denny. Echo's a special case. Remember, we decided that she probably wasn't cooked long enough in the oven. Everything is voodoo to her. She lives a life of confusion, Kate said, repeating a comment Barry had said about the dog. But the snake and... and what? Nothing. You just laugh at me. Come on. No, I won't. Tell me. Yesterday, when the guy was out back looking for the snake, Kate began, then told him about the breathing on her neck and the dogs fixated on something she couldn't see. When she finished, she braced herself for something about Ghost Denny or the Boogeyman, but Denny didn't say anything. Not at first. Denny? That's happened to me too. A couple times. Kate sat up in bed staring at him. What? Down in the basement. When? Oh, I, I don't know. Every once in a while. While I'm working or something. I've got the music up loud and I'm sweating or smoking. I just get this feeling. What sort of feeling? Like someone's watching me. Hearing Denny say this solidified what Kate had been unable to articulate, that she was being watched. Whatever the dogs were staring at, that thing was staring back at her. And in the black of the bathroom, she wasn't exactly worried about being pulled in, but that something was in there, waiting, watching. Denny went on, Or that something is there, behind the plywood sheeting. Like, if I were to walk up and rip it down... Someone or something would be standing there. But I've looked back there. Nothing but a whole lot of dirt and some old furniture. Speaking of, we should get some of that out of there. Could be worth something. Ignoring the last part, Kate said, But what do we do? About what? About the damn fact that we both feel like someone's watching us. Well, what can we do? He was right. What could they do? Uh, yes, hi, officer. This is Kate Coleman over here on Muldoon and Bradbury. We need you to come over here right away. We have an intruder. Can you describe the intruder? Well, no. Have they harmed you? Not exactly. Are you on any kind of medication, Mrs. Coleman? Denny laughed to himself. Let's pretend for a minute that you're right. There's a ghost watching us. You know, for a dude that loves horror and haunted houses, you're pretty resistant to the idea that any of this is real. Kate fell back on her pillow with a huff. "'I'm not resistant. I'm just saying, what can I do?' Denny said, then paused as if considering his next words. "'But I know what you can do.' "'You do?' Kate asked, turning back to look at her husband. His grin was comforting in the slow gleam of the streetlight outside. "'Yep. You give him a show. "'Show off that little hot body of yours. "'Maybe that's all he wants, just a little ooh-la-la. "'I see London, I see France.' Kenny smacked Denny on the bare chest, hard. The dogs popped up at the sound. What? Denny laughed. Maybe he's just lonely. Be a team player. That seemed to cut the tension a bit. Mixed with the sex and the exhaustion of the day, Kate felt herself beginning to drift off. Go to sleep, animal, Kate said. She kissed his cheek and tucked herself under the covers. Within minutes, they were both fast asleep. In the morning... When Denny stepped out into the carport for a cigarette with his coffee, he saw the fridge was gone. Today's episode is presented by Dr. Scarelove. Theme music was provided by Atrium carcheri Please check out Atrium Carcheri and the Cryo Chamber label on Bandcamp. You can also find links in the show notes. Be sure to like and subscribe. And as this is a brand new podcast, any reviews on Apple Podcasts are super helpful. And remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?